Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you would join with me in your Bible or the Pew Bible in front of you, our text today comes from the second letter to Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Let us hear now the words of the Lord. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with excellence, and excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Most wonderful God, we gather this morning to hear your word read and proclaimed And as we do so, Lord, we pray that you would open our ears and that we would clearly hear your words, but that you would open our hearts that they might anchor deep within, so that leaving this time together in worship with each other and in worship of you, that we would be not mere hearers of your words, but doers of your words. In your Son's holy name we pray, amen. On October the 22nd, 2006, Major David Taylor was in Iraq, and he was leading a convoy out from their forward operating base to go meet another officer. And as his Humvee was going along the route that they had decided to drive, uh, they tripped a wire, and an IED exploded, decimating his Humvee. The aftermath of this explosion took David's life and wounded the three other soldiers in the Humvee with him. All lives irrevocably changed. One of the survivors was his sergeant, Sergeant Brian Taylor, no relation whatsoever, and he had lost a leg in the explosion. And so as he was shipped from Iraq and then ultimately to Walter Reed for recovery, as he sort of settled in at Walter Reed, he wrote a letter to David's widow and his young son pledging that he would be with them and be there for them forever because their husband and father had meant so much to him as his leader, as his major. And so true to his word, Brian kept up with him over the years. And so as the story unfolds, you have to fast forward to 2013 when Brian was invited to spring training with the Tampa Bay Rays, also the hometown team of where the Taylor family had settled. And so as he's there at this spring training event through the Wounded Warrior Project, he strikes up a conversation with Alex Cobb, one of the pitchers for the Rays at the time. Alex also had a brother who had served in the Army and had been wounded in action. And so they had sort of a shared story and observations to talk about. And as their time together sort of came to an end, Brian asked Alex Cobb, he said, listen, let me tell you, my my major's uh, son lives here in Tampa. Could I possibly have 
your glove as a gift to him, as sort of a gesture of encouragement. Without missing a beat, Cobb obviously gave him his glove, and Brian was excited to go and to give that to Michelle and to Jake. And a couple of days later, Jake wrote a thank you note to Alex Cobb, and a few days after that, Michelle wrote one as well. But in Michelle's letter, she asked if one more thing, would it be possible for them to come by the clubhouse sometime when the Rays were in town, when they had a homestand, so that Alex could sign the glove for Jake? Alex picked up the phone and he called Michelle and he says, I'll do you one better than that. I'll set you up for the VIP treatment, if you will. Come and be my guest at the ballpark. I'll introduce Jake to the guys. We'll let him throw out the first pitch. You can sit in the luxury box all on me. It would be my honor and privilege to do that. The date they settled for this event was August the 11th. It was a date that worked best in everyone's schedule. It was not coincidentally providentially, I think, what would have been David Taylor's 43rd birthday. And at the end of that experience, with the pictures were being taken and, you know, the Taylors were saying goodbye, they said, this was such a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Thank you so much for this. And Alex Cobb says, oh, no, we'll do this more often. We'll do this at least once a year. And true to his word, once a year... He had the Taylors to the ballpark. And when he was traded to the Orioles, when the Orioles came to town, he had the Taylors to the ballpark. So you fast forward to 2020 when we're all in the midst of the global pandemic. Baseball is still being played in the summer in a shortened season with no fans in the stands. And you remember what many of the ballparks did? They gave the fans a chance to sort of submit their pictures and to bid for seats, if you will. And they would make one of those choroplast cutouts of us, like life-size, and you could have yourself right there at every game during the homestand, right behind the dugout. The Taylors, being big Tampa Bay Rays fans, didn't miss a chance to do that. They were front and center on the front row in the outfield. Jake and his mom. Jake wearing his Alex Cobb jersey. By this time, of course, Alex was with the Orioles, and so when the Orioles came to town August the 25th and 26th for a homestand, Alex goes out and finds their picture along the outfield. And he pulls out of his pocket a set of commemorative dog tags that Michelle had given him with David's name and a picture of him on them. And he hung them around Jake's neck. And then because we're in the selfie age, he took a picture with the Taylors and sent it to Michelle. They're still connecting over the years, still even as he's now moved to the Dodgers, they still find time to get together to have this baseball experience. Just like Brian still keeps up with the Taylors. And what Jake says about this, he says, this reminds me that we are all in this together. We remember that we are not alone in life. In 2020, the Wall Street Journal reporter Elizabeth Bernstein, she wrote an article about the physical and emotional benefit of being kind. And at the end of this, she invited readers to share their stories of kindness that they had had visited upon them or that they had observed or maybe that they had even participated in, but to share their stories with her. 
And so over the last three years, over 300 folks across our country that know of this project have been writing their stories to her. And what she's discovered in listening to these stories is people tell their story of kindness, that kindness leads to happiness. Now this may seem like one of those kind of Captain Obvious moments, but yet our world forget this from time to time. We hear in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I have come to have life and I've had it abundantly, and then we have to figure out what does he mean? Last week we talked about how this idea of abundant living begins here in community. But we go back to the scriptures and remember Jesus told us, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In a sense, it's how we're to treat each other, but if we really want people to treat us kindly, it means that we should treat the world with kindness. This idea of kindness and the way we treat it and the way we share it leads us to this abundant life, this best life that God wants for us. So we turn to our text in 2 Peter today. What we know is at the beginning of this chapter, Peter is writing to the faithful, telling them that God has given us everything that we need for abundant living. This is evident throughout his letter, but we get to verses 5 through 7, sort of this idea of that we have everything that we need for abundant living sort of builds upon itself. It's like a, a good game of blocks. So make every effort to support your faith with excellence, and then excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with mutual affection, and ultimately mutual affection with love. And if we remain true to these kingdom principles, then we understand God's love for us. In other words, if we practice our faith, this idea of discipleship, sharing kindness with each other, these become the hallmarks, the ideals of the kingdom of God. And when practiced, our lives change, not to mention the lives of others as well. And so this idea of kindness, Bernstein writes, she writes that kindness has this kind of sense of lasting impact, that people remember the kindness that we offer long after our words have faded, long after they forgot what we said, it was how we said it and how we treated them. So that's why practicing kindness leads us to our best life. Because in that we find it changes the lives of others, but it changes our life and it shows us what this best life can be like. So one of the letters that Bernstein received from the Wall Street Journal was from a man by the name of Don Crittenton. And really understand how this idea of kindness changes the lives of others, you have to understand his story. When he was uh, 50 years ago, when he was a graduate student, sort of kind of getting by on that graduate student salary while paying tuition and living very frugally, very meagerly, he found himself in need of a medical procedure. This was not one of these optional things. He had to have this surgery. And he really didn't have the money for it, and so he was really stuck between, do I have this surgery that I need or do I skip it because I can't pay for it? And he finally said, this is crazy I'll just have to pay the debts off over a long period of time. So he had the surgery. 
And so you know what happens when you have surgery. It takes the hospital billing system a moment to catch up with you. But boy, when they do, the bills start rolling in. And if you don't have insurance, it starts to mount up quickly. And so as the bills are rolling in and he's looking at him, he's trying to figure out how he's going to pay this off over time, how he's going to deal with this debt that he really can't afford. And then he gets a letter. And in this letter, it tells him that his debt is paid, but there are three conditions. The first, don't try to figure out who's doing this for you. The second, don't tell anyone. I mean, I guess the statute of limitations have faded on this because we now know the story. Uh, But anyway, don't tell anyone. And the third one is, do something for someone else when the opportunity arises. And so he has spent his whole life with this gift that he received 50 years ago trying to pay it forward. And so he's taken this lesson hard. He's paid it forward every chance he gets. And what he says about this, he said, it reminds me that even in the hardest of times that we still have each other. Back to this idea of community. That even in the hardest of times that we still have each other. And so what we know from this is that study after study shows exactly what the gospel of John has been preaching to us for years. That when we seek to love others as we love ourselves, then their well-being grows. As they advance in life, as their advancement occurs because of our kindness, then they flourish. Their lives are changed. And so our kindness becomes a transformation in the lives of the people that we touch. But there's something else that we learn from this. It's not just their lives that are changed, though, too, is it? See, when our acts change the lives of others, it also changes our trajectory, our lives as well. Take the story with me of a a man by the name of Frank Skankwitz. Now, you may know of Frank, but you may not either. See, 1980, Frank Skankwitz was an Arizona state trooper, one of the elite the motorcycle cops. And this is in the era of chips. So those of you that are of a certain age, you know what I'm talking about. Larry Wilcox, Eric Estrada, California Highway Patrol, you know what I'm talking about. So he is like at the top of the food chain right now in the law enforcement world, a motorcycle cop for the Arizona Highway Patrol. And so one day while he's out on patrol, he gets a radio call that says, you need to return to headquarters. So when he rolls back in, he finds out from his sergeant that what's happened is that there is, the department has learned of a young man, a young man by the name of Chris Grecius, who has leukemia. It's a small child. He has leukemia, and he has one wish. His one wish is to be a motorcycle police officer. And so the department says, we're going to fulfill this. We're going to send a helicopter to pick him up at the, at the, at the hospital, We'll bring him back to headquarters. We're going to let him meet all of you motorcycle cops. Let him see it. We'll give him a toy badge, and we'll make him an honorary police officer for the day, and then he can go home to finish recuperating. And so the next day comes. The helicopter brings him to HQ. He is blown away by the gleaming motorcycles and the very crisp, finely dressed officers. They give him the badge. They make him an honorary police officer. Everybody is pleased. But Skankswitz says we can do more. So he gets conspires with some of his buddies and they have a custom uniform made up for this small child. And so as a child goes home, 
They get this uniform made up, and then a couple of days later, Skankowitz shows up at his house with the uniform. He says, you know, we've made you an honorary police officer, but if you want to be a real one, you've got to take a test. I mean, every job has a test, so they get his battery-operated motorcycle out, and he rides it around in the driveway, and of course, that Skankwitz has drawn up for him. And the boy is beaming with pride as he wears his police shirt, his uniform. He is over the moon. And Skankwitz says, I've still got yet more for you. And he pulls out an autographed picture of Larry Wilcox and Eric Estrada in their Chips uniforms. The kid is blown away. And he says, I'm going to get you a real motorcycle police officer badge. Give me a couple of days. Well, a couple of days while he's waiting for that badge to come in, Chris, his health starts to fail. He has to go back to the hospital. And by the time the badge comes in and Skankwitz gets to the hospital, Chris has slipped into a coma. But his uniform shirt is hanging right by the bed. And as Skankwitz pins the, uni- the badge on the uniform providentially, Chris comes out of the coma for just a moment. And he says, am I a real motorcycle cop? And he says, oh, yes, son, you are. Later that afternoon, Chris Greasy has passed away. And so as the family celebrated his life and mourned his loss, he was escorted to his final resting place by the Arizona Highway Patrol. But on the way home from that experience, Skankwitz says, we can do this. We can do this a whole lot. We can do more of this. We can make a difference in the lives of children. We can do this time and time again. And so he sketches out the business plan, if you will, for an organization that we now know as Make-A-Wish Foundation. And while he finished out his career as this highway patrolman, he also shepherded the Make-A-Wish Foundation into what it is today. And he wrote these words at his retirement. He said, I woke up every day with a passion to make a difference in the lives of children. It was once enough to be a dad or a cowboy or a highway patrol officer. But my destination, my destiny changed that day that I got the call to return to headquarters. See, friends, doing for others changes their lives, and it changes our lives too. And it helps us understand this idea of an abundance of living that God wants for you and for me, our best life. Studies have shown, and I always like this, when science actually spends time proving what we have known in the theological world for years, because it just adds extra firepower to what we teach, what we preach, and more importantly, what we believe. But studies have shown that acts of kindness help us feel happier, less depressed, and less anxious. It taps into what we know as our pro-social created nature. That's a fancy word of saying that from the very beginning, we were created to care for one another. We were created to act kind to one another. So science says that this idea of acts of kindness taps into our pro-social created nature. Scientists say that when we invest ourselves in the lives of others, It activates a reward system within our brain, within our souls, within our psyche, in which when we do something good for others, it makes us feel good and we want to do more of it because we like that reward. We are truly then living our best life. If you don't believe me, ask Alex Cobb or Don Crittenton or the family of Frank Skankswitz. 
as I think about this, and I was sort of looking at this series this week, uh, or this, this year, I was thinking about a stack of quotes. I keep kind of quotes on index cards in my drawer, and I flip through them occasionally and kind of pick up one for the week. And one of them is on kindness, and it says this, kindness is like snow. It never fails to add beauty to whatever it covers. I thought about that, how true that is. Kindness is like snow. It never fails to add beauty to whatever it is that covers. And there's truth in that. Because the kindness that we share with the world changes the world. It changes the life of the recipient of that kindness by our words, our deeds, our actions. But it also changes the life of the giver. See that when we are kind, we are beginning to live into our best life as God intended. So my brothers and sisters, I think the challenge for us this week is to do just that, to go and be kind. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.